This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R-A-Z-O-R. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome to Puckcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's hockey podcast show. I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. I'm joined, as usual, by AJ Scholz, who's an excellent follow for hockey fans at AJ Scholz 24 I'll spell that out. It's A-J-S-C-H-O-L-Z-2-4. My partner is nowhere near as happy as he was last week, though, as far as the NFL playoffs are concerned. I'm dismayed that we've only seen one competitive game in these playoffs, and that one still leaves a bad taste in my mouth when your team beat mine. But I want your thoughts on this past weekend's games, AJ. Oh, Paul, I don't want to talk about it. It... Uh... That one stung. We're, of course, talking about Packers-Falcons. I honestly didn't even watch much of the second half of that game. Uh, It was just too brutal, too painful. Uh, You know, you mentioned competitive games. Hopefully the Super Bowl should be a competitive one. Uh, Both these teams have really kind of dominated their way into into the the final game of the year here. Uh, For me personally, I plan on cheering for the Patriots. Uh, I'm definitely a Tom Brady fan, one of the few outside of Boston uh, and I like seeing dynasty level domination like they have. Uh, so I'll definitely be cheering them to get their fifth title. That's, that's not an anti Falcon stance. I, I like Matt Ryan. I've used, you know, Matty ice several times in, in season long leagues. So, um, definitely just a, a pro Patriot stance for me. Uh, Paul, I'm not sure where do you fall uh, for this game? Anybody but New England is where I fall, my friend. (laughs) Uh, I'm sick and tired of this team uh, making it all the way without much uh, significant opposition. But I'll tip my hat to Belichick because he found a way to negate two huge offensive weapons in the Pittsburgh arsenal. I know there was an injury factor involved with Le'Veon Bell, but Antonio Brown was even limited in the passing game. They simply doubled up 
on the coverage there. And uh, they did what no other team could do most of the latter half of the second part of the season where uh, Pittsburgh was rolling offensively. They, they looked uh, pretty anemic for long stretches in this game. And when you give uh, that kind of an advantage to the offense uh, on the New England side of the football, you know Brady's going to pick that uh, opposition apart more often than not, and that's exactly what he did. And and a guy like a Chris Hogan becomes a, a household name. I wonder what they're feeling in Buffalo when they discarded this guy for next to nothing, and he becomes a star in the, uh, the AFC Championship. But uh, Brady's been, Brady and company have made stars out of a lot of people in their passing attack. And I just think that he's going to have another big day against a suspect Atlanta secondary. But on the other side of the coin, Atlanta does have even more weapons than any team that, that the Patriots have faced. So I think that we are in for a real shootout. And that would be a great spectacle because we've only seen one good game in these playoffs. And I don't want to talk about that one anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely like uh, the idea, though, of, of seeing that awkward moment when Roger Goodell would have to hand the Lombardi Trophy over to to Kraft or to Brady. Uh, you know, after all the controversy and, and back and forth with Deflate Gate and the suspension, uh, I definitely am intrigued by seeing how that might uh, might play out. Um, but you know, before we get into the program and, and get on with the hockey talk that our, our listeners are here for. Uh, I want to just remind them that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, whether that's season long or daily, uh, fantasy hockey or just hockey in general, uh, you can tweet at us and we'll try and answer your questions during our next uh, podcast or throughout the week. Uh, and as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at AJ Scholes 24 and you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman 22. And we invite our listeners to keep those thoughts coming. We've had some interesting questions come our way each week that we've done this podcast for today. And has been our, our custom through much of the first part of this uh, season with PopCast. We want to do a 30-team sweep again. But today's topic will be the opposite of what we did last week when we picked a player on the rise. This week, we're going to take a look at a player that we think could hit a bit of a decline. We'll call it a dip in play the rest of the way. And uh, I'll begin with Anaheim, where I'm going to choose Cam Fowler, who's had a career-type season for the Ducks. But he did that. He got off to a great start after hearing a lot of rumors about being in trade talks and all the rest of that. But he took advantage of a bit of a holdout situation with one of the star defensemen. But he's now going to find himself competing for time with the likes of Hampus Lindholm and Sammy Vatanen, who's out day-to-day right now. But I think there's there's uh, minutes to go around there, and these guys will be interchanged on special teams. And I, I think Fowler's numbers will come down a, quite a bit from where they are right now. So he's my pick to take the, the dip to, uh, for Anaheim. What about you? Uh, my guy here is going to be Andrew Cogliano. He's got 21 points in 49 games this season, which is just off his career high pace. Uh, so I definitely expect him to cool off, especially when you look at the fact that he doesn't log uh, a significant amount of power play minutes. He's been used only in a handful of rare occasions throughout the season. Uh, the one upside for him is he has yet to miss an NHL game in his entire career. Uh, plays 82 games every season with the exception of 48 in the lockout shortened year. Uh, So definitely uh, you are getting consistency from him there, but I expect to see the production drop off a little bit uh, heading into the latter half. We'll move over to Arizona where there's this is a young team that's in the middle of a rebuild, AJ, and I just think that they've got the veteran goalie Mike Smith who's played a lot in the first half. He's coming off an injury-plagued season last year. And he's kind of taken the, the bit uh, away from Louis Domingue for much of the first half, but recently has ceded uh, control of the 
the goalie the goal crease to his younger partner they're kind of splitting time and i think in the second half you're going to see the the coyotes take a longer look and and really spread out the minutes more maybe give Domingue more of the ice time in the second half so it might be a good time if people are goalie starved you might be able to to fleece somebody by dangling smith in front of them and saying you know he's a guy that can be a workhorse i just think that Domingue is going to get more of the net yeah, I'm going to look at the top line here, and, and Tobias Reeder is a guy I think he's benefiting from Max Dome's injury, uh, who could return after the All-Star break. You know, And this is a team in general that's struggling to score uh, down the stretch, well, for much of the season, but especially of late. Uh, so I don't really expect him to continue. He's got 20 points in the first 45 games this, uh, this season, and I don't think he'll reach 40. Well, that's a call. <laughs> and speaking of a guy who I don't think is going to reach 40, I'm going to go with David Pasternak. He was far and away the Boston Bruins' leading goal scorer early on in the season, but he's gone at least the last seven games without touching the back of the net with a shot. So and a few assists in that range too. But I just think that the guy was on too high a pace and was too far ahead of the pack with regards to the rest of his team to keep that up so this is what could be a case again if you're a bottom feeding team you got this guy in the roster certainly you can hold on to him if you think that he's going to have a career like this but but uh, it might be an opportunity for you to trade for more prospects or more picks in your draft in a season long and i just think that uh, selling high on this guy might be an opportune moment for you to to help your yourself uh build with more picks in in next year's drafts in season long play so that's why i'm suggesting pasternak i think he's going to cool off a little bit on to the next yeah. club, your club. Uh, I mean. uh, yeah, so my, my pick uh, here for Boston is going to be on the blue line. Uh, and Tory Krug is coming off a stretch of 16 points in 14 games. Uh, but then after that, he's got just one helper in his last four. And I think that's going to be more indicative of uh, how he goes the rest of the way. He's easily leading the, blue, uh, the Boston blue line in scoring, but I, don't, I just don't see him maintaining this pace, uh, especially as the, the team has started to struggle a little bit as well. Well, and I think the same thing can apply to the Buffalo Sabres. This is a team whose rebuild was compla- uh, compared favorably against the local club here that I root for in Toronto, but the Leafs seem to have passed a uh, uh, Buffalo team that's standing still, and Molson is one of the reasons why. I think they loaded up on a lot of guys with uh, a little bit of uh, mileage on them in the last couple of years. Gianta is another guy uh, filling in a spot there on the top three lines, and, and Molson's a guy who gets out of the gate quickly. He's a good special teams guy, but you can't play this guy in a four-line game uh, with more than 12 or 14 minutes, so I just think that his production is going to go down because they've got to go to the younger guys and and uh, really hope that they they are the ones that develop. They don't need this guy uh, taking up space if he's not going to score regularly and not going to play defense. He's just a one-way player, so kind of a filler filler guy who shouldn't be overrated in the scoring. And I think he cools off in the second half. Well, this will be our first big disagreement because our listeners will probably note that I selected Matt Molson as my upswing guy for <laughs> Buffalo last week. Uh, I definitely think I do agree. I think he's a one way player, but I think he can uh, put up better numbers than we've seen from him. So we'll we'll put a dollar to Looney on that one and and mark that away for the end of the year. Uh, My guy on the downswing, uh, you mentioned him a little bit, Brian Gianta. I think he benefited early from the Jack Eichel injury, uh, but he's gotten down all the way down to the third line. uh, And I doubt he'll still be in the Stavers top five of scoring at the end of the year where he is right now. I just don't see him being able to produce uh, at the level he did earlier in the season paired up on, on that third line for Buffalo. And we move on to Calgary, where I see at the top of the list a name that I didn't expect, and that's Michael Backlund. Certainly he has had some 
some uh, shown some flashes of being a good offensive player in the past, but nothing like what we're seeing right now, where he's on a career best pace of 33 points in 50 games. But I just see the guy; he's not going to beat out the likes of Johnny Gaudreau and uh, and uh, what's his name there, the setter, uh, Victor Rask. No. Sean Monahan is the guy that I'm Monahan, wrong team. Yeah. Sorry. Sean Monahan is a guy that I think expect I expect him to be up there at the top of the ladder with Gaudreau. But Backlund is a guy who who could be a solid second line scorer. I just think that this is too high a pace for him to sustain, and his minutes will come down in the special teams too because they want the younger guys there. Even uh, you can include even Sam Bennett in the in this group to take away some of the minutes that he's enjoying right now, and he'll fall back into a, more of a second line kind of 45 to 50 point range i think he's going to cool off to that level the rest of the way well my cooling off guy here is going to be johnny gaudreau you know he's currently on a 10 game goalless streak uh and over that time he's only added uh three assists he's minus six over that stretch and and even more concerning is he's minus 16 on the year as a whole uh, so I just don't see a lot going for him this season. Uh, he's definitely not going to hit the 78 points he had last year. And I doubt he'll even hit the 64 that he had in, in his rookie campaign. So uh, this is a guy that is definitely struggling, um, not only uh, with his team, but there have been a lot of line changes. This is one team that, that, Paul, you and I, when we do those daily sweeps for the depth charts, we see this uh, team moving things around all the time guys getting third line minutes that normally you'd expect first line minutes. And I think that shuffle has really been detrimental, not just to Goudreau, but to the team as a whole. I think that's a great call. And part of one of the indicators that, that uh, tells us why Calgary's struggling so much, a great uh, call on your part there. Uh, I, I think the same thing can apply to T- Toivo Teravainen over in Carolina though, uh, AJ, because he's a guy who's played first line, second line, third line. Now he's in fourth line minutes. He's a guy who's in the top five scorers of, of the uh, Hurricanes, but really tailed off of late. And and it's really his first crack at the top six minutes uh, since he was in Chicago. And you know he wasn't going to get much time there. That's why he was expendable. I just think he's finding it t- tough sledding uh, at this point. And I see him, if he continues to stay in the bottom six, there's no way he's going to uh, match the 10 goals that he got in the first half of the season and, and uh, over 20 points. So I think there's a that's a pretty easy candidate for a slowdown in the second half on the Hurricanes. Who do you have? Well, Paul, now you're just picking from my list that I had last <laughs> week with Tara Vane in there. Um, but uh, for me, I think the drop-off guy is, is going to be Victor Rask. Uh, with 32 points already this year, there's no doubt I think he'll beat his 48-point career high. Uh, but I don't expect him to keep up this 0.68-point-per-game average. Uh, it's just a little too uh, too quick with a with a struggling team around him. They've been better of late, but I still don't see them uh, really going the distance. And, and he's currently on a four-game uh, point drop, which I think could definitely carry uh, into the next couple of weeks. Well, over in Chicago, I look at the name of Richard Panic, And this guy, who ha- Eve is a guy who I thought the Leafs were going to give a chance to. We didn't even, didn't even suit up for the Toronto club. And look what he's done since he's gone over to Chicago he's fit in in the top six role for much of the time there and he got off to a really good start again this season but another guy that slowed down quite a bit he's only got 20 points right now and and that's symptomatic of of uh, what I said he slowed down considerably since that quick start to the season and I think that's just going to continue to go south because he's had stretches like this long stretches where he has not been a productive offensive player so if you roll overrated him early you're paying for it big time now and I think he's a guy that you got to dump the rest of the way 
Yeah, for me, I'm I'm looking at Marion Hosa on this team to have a dip. You know, the Hawks are doing everything to keep this guy fresh to the point where uh, the local beat writers there have started calling when you take a when a guy takes a maintenance day, they call it taking a Hosa because um, <laughs> he's been you know absent from skate so often. You know, he's down uh, on that third line and he's got father time kind of nipping at his heels. So I, I expect to see a, a dip from him into the second half, even with all the additional rest they're giving him. Yeah, and we're going to go to Colorado next, and I'm going to, I'm going to choose Miko Rantanen. This guy is a guy who's a top prospect with the, with the Avs uh, when he was drafted, and he's taken his time to develop as a player. Uh, he's given, getting first-line minutes now, but he's jumped all over the lineup, and I think that he's going to be uh, dropped uh, if he doesn't pick up his scoring in the next little while, too. They've got to take a look around at all their prospects. They've given him a lengthy look most recently and just not fitting in at the moment and uh, I think he cools off considerably he's a minus 18 he's got to really get a handle on the defensive side of the puck AJ they can't afford to trot this guy out if he's going to be such a defensive liability and and maybe the way to do that is to insulate him with a third line role where he gets uh, a little less focus in terms of the offensive demands and really figures out the defensive side of the game I've seen that so many times and he might be in that in that mode right now yeah, for me with this team, I'm going to hedge a little bit here. I'm going to say Tyson Berry, but that's only if he's still with the abs after the trade deadline, which I'm not sure he will be. I think that's going to be a player uh, that's going to be targeted by a lot of teams. Uh, and Colorado is definitely in a rebuild mode. But if for some reason Tyson Berry is still with the abs, uh, he's got 20 helpers on the year. But that's on a team averaging a league worst 2.02 goals per game. And he just doesn't have guys that he can continuously feed the puck to. Um, if he leaves, obviously, he'll have more talent around him. And, and that should see an uptick in his assist numbers and possibly even adding some goals. He's only got three of those on the year. Um, but Barry is a minus 23, which, uh, you know, as I mentioned, is kind of symptomatic of the scoring problems on this team. So if he's still with the, ad, uh, the avalanche at, at the end of the year, I think he'll have a, a tougher second half. Well, one guy who's, who's uh, bound to have a lesser second half, and it's tough to find one of these guys that you project going down in Columbus. I'm curious to see who you've got. But I picked Sam Gagne. He has 30 po- 33 points on the season so far, but he's been relegated to a fourth-line role, and that's not necessarily been a bad thing all season in Columbus. But I look at the fact that he's goalless in the last seven games, only has three helpers, and his ice time, that's a telltale sign for me, AJ, here. It's dipped to about 13 or 14 minutes a game. So he's not getting the opportunities uh, that he was earlier in the season in terms of the playing time and he's got a lot of other guys that he's competing with Uh, it seems like almost every other player on columbus is having a career type season so really the pickings are slim here for a guy on decline i'd like to see who you have well of course i'll go with the uh, former flyer scott hartnell um but no in all seriousness not just to knock him because he played with the flyers i think one of the most surprising things for hartnell is that he's not uh doesn't look like he'll reach the 100 penalty minute mark and that'll only be uh, the second time in his career that he doesn't hit that mark excluding the lockout shortened season Um, but he's playing down on their fourth line where it looks like he's probably going to end up staying for a little while which will definitely see his minutes drop off and they're really starting to use him a little bit more as as the enforcer type that he has been in the past rather than uh, more of a scorer which he has been uh, able to do this season you know, he's a he's a rough and tumble guy and he's perfect for that role. Um, and I, I think it's well suited for him. And not that he hasn't scored in the past, but I, I think the fourth line spot 
is going to just see such a significant drop in minutes uh, that he's going to struggle to to keep up the phenomenal pace that he's had going uh, into the first half of the season. Well, the phenomenal is a relative term. And when it comes to a guy that I picked on Dallas, uh, we're talking about Patrick Eves. This guy's already got a career high in Well, he's within three points of a career high in total points in his 12th season in the NHL. So that tells me that I shouldn't expect him to continue at this rate, particularly when now we see some of the guys that we expected to score coming off the injured list. Uh, and so his minutes are going to decline in terms of the special teams for sure. I think he might might barely hold on to a top six role here in, in any case, but still the numbers just won't match up with what he's done so far. A minus 10 also on the plus minus, one of the, one of the poorer marks on the club. Just indicators to me that say this guy cannot sustain what he's done this season. 17 goals already, a, a second best in his career too. He might hit the 25 mark, but that's about the ceiling that I see for Patrick Eves in Dallas. Yeah, another guy that could struggle is going to be Radic uh, Fasca. He is dealing with uh, a lower body injury. They're going to keep him out until after the All-Star break. Um, but taking a look, he's got six goals and, and 16 assists. But over half of those points this season have come against uh, teams in the bottom half of the standings. And really, he's still somewhat of a rookie. You know, when you consider he's got just 45 games under his belt last season, he's already got 48 this year. So I really put this more as his true rookie season, in my opinion. And I think you're going to see some of those rookie struggles. Uh, and as you mentioned, Paul, with more and more guys getting healthy, this is another player that could fall down the lineup a little bit. In Detroit, this is a team, you know, I hate to say it, but I think I'm going to be right. Uh, they're going to struggle to make the playoffs this season. And they're really leaning on, trying to lean on some of the veteran guys now. And, and at the top of that list for me is Mike Green. And he's playing 24, 25 minutes a night. That's just too much for a guy with this many travel miles on him. I know he's had the good offensive first half, but I just think the toll that they're, they're putting on him is going gonna, is gonna to limit his scoring ability in the second half. He does have 22 points over 39 games thus far. I just think he's not, I don't think he's going to double that in terms of getting a 40-point season. So I do see a bit of a decline here. And I also note that his, his plus minus is at a minus 11. You don't expect to see too many Detroit players with that kind of a minus if they're in playoff contention. So those are indicators to me that things are not going to turn out well for Mike Green and the Red Wings. Yeah, another indicator there for um, uh, from my perspective is the struggles of Peter Mrazek. Uh, he's got uh, just one win in his last eight, uh, while Jared Corio, who is going to be the starter tonight, uh, is 5-1-2 and two on the year. So a small sample size there, but I look for these two to kind of split time, possibly with Corio even taking more of a role. And, and I think that that lack of uh, clear starts that we were expecting you know, heading into this season, it looked like Mrazek was finally ready to kind of shake Jimmy Howard, and then Howard had the injury, and so that kind of seemed to clear things up that, you know, Mrazek was finally going to get those starter minute or starter um, appearances, uh, but it looks like Corio is going to battle him out for that, and they're going to fall back into a split, which I think last year showed is not exactly uh, something Mrazek seems to be comfortable with. He definitely struggles in that setting. AJ, a guy who's found a struggle in Edmonton. Uh, you know, when they signed Lucic to that big contract in the offseason, I thought, 
I don't think that this guy can keep up with McDavid and company on the first line. And in fact, that has come to pass. He's playing third line minutes now. And he, look what he's done in his last 11 games. Two points and a minus three. That's not worth six million bucks. But that's what the home that he's found himself in. Because now his first line minutes are going to a guy by the name of Patrick Maroon. Whom we touted at the beginning of the season as a guy who could step into top six minutes. And he's taken the role and flourished with it. A guy who's a better skater than Lucic and a better fit on that top line. Lucic certainly is hanging on to some power play time but it's not reflected in the scoring totals and and i see this decline uh, of the last 11 games going through much of the rest of the second half of the season for for lucis and edmonton yeah and another guy who's kind of struggled in in 2017 is andre sakara you know he had a real strong december uh, 10 points in 12 games but as i mentioned in in the new year he's got just one goal and three helpers in 11 january outings you know, and the other thing I would mention is this team's not really built to score from the blue line. You, you know, you highlighted Maroon along with McDavid and, and Dreisaitl on that top line. And this is really a forward scoring line, uh, not as much uh, with the expected scoring from the blue line. So I expect Sakara's numbers will drop off or rather continue to drop off as they have in January for the, the rest of the season. Now, I hate to do this, but I got to pick on Yarmir Yager of all people in Florida. But I think it's symptomatic of what's happened to the Panthers there. They kind of overrated what they had offensively and things have fallen apart off the ice. And they're kind of leaning too heavily on him, giving him too much ice time. I mean, he may be in the best shape of his life, as he says, but the, the, the birth certificate doesn't lie here. And we're starting to see a bit of a decline in production. Certainly the plus minus is at the worst that it's been in terms of this month. He's had uh, points of eight, eight points in November, 11 points in December. But now he's dipped in January through 11 games, only six points in total. And I'm seeing the shot pr- production decline precipitously, too. He's barely over a shot per game where he was averaged two and a, averaging two and a half for much of the f- earlier part of the season. So I just think that the travel miles have accumulated on, on uh, the venerable one in, in Florida. And I just think that they've got to look elsewhere for help and maybe ease the load on this guy in the second half. And that's going to translate to a reduction in his numbers as well. Yeah, when I was trying to pick a guy here for Florida... I took a look at the, you know, their top scores and despite missing the last 12 games, Alexander Barkov is still listed as fourth in scoring on this team, uh, which as you mentioned, I think is more symptomatic of, of the team struggles as a whole. But now there's reports that Barkov could miss the rest of the season. Wow. So if you haven't jumped ship yet, it's definitely time to on this guy. Uh, you know, obviously if he's not going to play, he's not going to stay in that, that fourth, uh, that fourth spot on the team good call there and a pretty easy one uh, that's what you get when you do your homework a little bit though folks. <laughs> so aj comes up with a beauty there and i'm gonna say alec martinez in los angeles is my candidate for candidate for a decline he if you look at his monthly slate the plus minus is telling the story here aj where he was a minus one each of the last two months and a zero in the first month of the season he's a minus six now a lot of that has to and only four points in 10 games by the way and that a lot of that has to do with the switching of the pairings where now uh jake muzzin is playing with drew dowdy on first line minutes and martinez has been dropped off that tandem and and i think that also will translate to power play time so while this guy was headed to a almost a career best offensive season with 25 points to date he is going to see that those numbers decline and more of a, a rate of four or five points per month the rest of the way, in my opinion. Yeah, and for me here, Paul, I, 
I'm going to pick Jeff Carter, and this is less about him than it is about the team around him. He's got 41 points, and that puts him 15 points ahead of his next closest teammate. Uh, and there's just no player, in my opinion, in, in today's NHL that can go it completely alone. You know, I think gone are the days of, of Super Mario or, uh, you know, Gretzky, guys that single-handedly can power a team to wins. You know, even Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid, these guys are not going to go it alone. And, and Jeff Carter, while is solid, is certainly not one of those top uh, top elite uh, guys in my opinion teams are going to figure out how to slow him down uh, and you know they'll they'll find ways to make his life more difficult and make the the rest of the team try and figure out how to score and i don't think they're going to and so i expect to see a drop from jeff carter uh, heading into the second half uh, minnesota was a team that i thought i had a little trouble finding a guy but i might surprise you with my pick and i'm going to say jason zucker first of all who is Jason Zucker? I don't think I could identify this guy <laughs> in a police lineup. And yet here he is with 32 points on the season, already a career best and a plus 27 to boot by miles. Those are numbers career that are career highs. And he's got a lot of company there on the depth chart in the top six. And I just think uh, that a guy like a Zach Parise could rise up and take some of his minutes on the second line. Uh, they got Nino Niederreiter there as well. So it's a competitive group on the left side. And I think when Parise gets his uh, game legs back, he, he's been battled, hampered with some injury time over the last year and a half. But he's starting to come into his own. And, and, and this is a team where, that relies on him to kind of a, as their signature player in the last two years. I think he's got another crack at that kind of a role here. And it'll be at Zucker's expense over the second half of the season, I think. Well, I agree that they're stacked on, on the left side there, Paul, but I think it's actually going to be Nino Niederreiter that's going to be the one that drops off a little bit. Now you're picking on me. I had him last year <laughs> on the rise, so we're getting even here, okay? <laughs> uh, you know, Niederreiter is definitely uh, very similar to Zucker. He's punching well above his weight class. You know, he just needs another 11 points to, to reach his career uh, high. You know, and this was, Paul, a real hard team to pick pick against. But for much of the same reasons you highlighted, Zucker dropping off, specifically Zach Parise uh, getting uh, back to you know his scoring ways, I think you're going to see Niederreiter kind of bumped uh, from this top-line spot. And for me, we go to Montreal. This is a team, again, that, uh, to use your parlance, punching above their weight class when you look at the injuries that they suffered. And one of the guys that helped them stay afloat was Philip Deneau. But I think, uh, and, and there was news just the other day that Alex Galchenyuk is back on the sidelines with a recurrence of a knee injury. I think when he gets healthy, he's going to regain that top spot. And Dayarnay is going to be back in the lineup at some point, we think, too. So that's going to squeeze uh, Dano out of the minutes at center in terms of a scoring line role. And he drops down more into a third or fourth line role where we're accustomed to seeing him. And it's just that transition that's going to cost this guy some scoring points over what he, we've seen in the first half. Well, Paul, I think you could say almost the exact same thing and just change the names for my pick. And, and that's Paul Byron. Uh, you know, he's on the sec, uh, second line right now, uh, but he's benefited from injuries to other guys in December. Uh, had a real solid month there, uh, but his, in, his minutes are starting to drop back down a little bit. And I do see him sliding into that third line, especially uh, when Brendan Gallagher returns from IR. I think he'll replace him there and you'll see him drop off and, and Andrew Shaw could start figuring it out too. And that's a guy who's got some, some definite uh, potential and he could replace Byron, which would slot, you know, Byron all the way potentially down onto the fourth line even. Well, and a guy I think who is, is uh, 
playing more minutes than I expected is Victor Arvidsson in Nashville. He has had points. Uh, his points were on the rise each of the first three months. He started with six, went to eight in November, six, uh, ten more in December, but now he's back down to six, five in January and only one goal. And that, to me, is a telltale sign. If you're not scoring on that top line in Nashville, they're going to just move things around. That's what they've done for the last few years when they didn't even have much of a cast offensively. But now they do have options. And this guy's going to find himself losing a bit of a role to a guy like a James Neal or even a Craig Smith uh, to get uh, into those top six minutes in both cases. And that will cost Arvidsson some playing time if he doesn't resume uh, bulging the twine. And and, uh, that's got to happen in a hurry because otherwise he's going to in for a precipitous slide, I do think. Well, I don't think it's going to be James Neal that's going to take Arvidsson's spot. Uh, he's, you know, Neal's similar to Arvidsson. He's a very hot and cold player. And right now, James Neal is ice cold. Uh, he's got just two goals in his last 10 games. And from what I've seen in the past when he was when he was with the Penguins, this is a guy whose work rate really dropped off when the team starts struggling. Um, he just seems to, to slack off. It's, you know, a similar criticism to it. I'm what sure you saw uh, with... Uh, my guy Phil Kessel, when he was in Toronto, very similar in that in that sense uh, from what's been shown in the past, and and I expect James Neal to start kind of slacking off a little bit more, especially as his drought and the team's drought kind of continues. And I'm going to say in New Jersey, uh, I'm going to use almost the same uh, pros that I described. Yarmir Yager, I'm going to use on Mike Camilleri. This is a guy who has been a top six player his whole career, but he's on the down back back 40, I guess, is what we can say in terms of a career path and uh, kind of a placeholder there for for the likes of Kyle Palmieri, Devante Smith-Pelly, and Sergei Kalinin. These these other guys are younger guys that they have to take a look at in a season where I think they're going to fall out of contention pretty soon for the playoffs. And and really, they got to look at the younger prospects rather than the placeholder type that Camilleri is and we've already seen him cede some minutes to those guys in the last little while and uh, he's not going to duplicate the 25 points that he has so far going the rest of the way yeah for me this is probably my my boldest call here I'm, I'm going to go after leading scorer on the team Taylor Hall you know he's got uh, 31 points uh, on the year but being the leading scorer on an offensively challenged team doesn't really amount to much in my opinion as I mentioned, he's got 20 assists, uh, but you know his teammates are, are failing to convert a, a lot of these opportunities that he's setting them up for, and I think those assists will start to dry up. And I don't think Taylor Hall can be, you know, a guy that uh, puts in more goals than assists. He's he's a, a secondary uh, kind of player. I think he's more suited towards finding other guys and creating openings for other guys rather than bending the twine himself. And without teammates to convert, I think you'll see his numbers start to drop off. And uh, everybody who doesn't play with John Tavares on a regular basis has seen their numbers drop off, it seems, on the island. When, when they go on his line, they go on a scoring flurry. When they come off, they go down the tubes. And that's what happened to Brock Nelson. This is a guy who is a big, rangy type. And I think he slots in as a center if he dedicates himself to a two-way game. But he's been satisfied to, to make his mark in the limited times that he's played with. Tavares uh, over his career and and when he doesn't he kind of takes a bit of a back seat in a big way and the numbers do slide and I think th- that is something that we've seen this season he started off early with with Tavares but now in the latter part hasn't played with them at all and the numbers are reflected in a seven game scoreless drought uh, that I expect to continue and be symptomatic 
symptomatic of a typically poor second half. This is a guy who was a first-half player every year of his three years that we've seen him in the NHL, too. I think we see him uh, in the, on the way to a fourth such campaign. As you mentioned, the, the lines are definitely fluid there. Uh, and I think that had to do a lot with, you know, Capiano's uh, uh, style of coaching. But I don't think interim head coach Doug Waite is uh, set with where his lines are either. And so right now, Anders Lee is on that top line with John Tavares. But I doubt that'll hold uh, for much of the season. And as you highlighted, as soon as he's not on that top line, I expect Anders Lee's numbers to drop. You know, it could be any one of the guys there. Andrew Ladd's out, too. So when he comes back, he could find himself back on the top. It's just such a fluid situation. And if you're not with Tavares, you're not scoring, as, as you said, Paul. Exactly. And uh, over in the Rangers, they've got a few defensemen that have scored quite a bit uh, this season. They're getting a lot of production from the back end. But they haven't got too much from a guy like a Kevin Klein. And they haven't, they, they're getting some from... Ryan McDonough. I think these guys are going to overshadow a guy like Nick Holden, who's had a career-type first-half season. He's got on a 40-point pace. We really haven't seen that out of this guy in his career. He's in fact only one point shy of his career best. I just think that uh, those numbers are a little bit higher than than I expected, and I don't think there's any way that this guy can keep it up given the competition that he has in terms of name recognition guys on that Ranger blue line who will be taking more of the penalty uh, power play minutes and the key opportune minutes as this team gears up for the playoffs. I hate to do it, Paul, but I have to pick a guy I know you've been high on for much of the season in JT Miller. Um, I just think it's it's not a knock on Miller. This is just another uh, guys getting healthy situation. You know, with Mika Zibanejad and Pavel Buknovic uh, both back healthy, Miller's kind of fallen to the third line. And so far, his scoring hasn't dropped off. He, he's still been able to, to score from that third line. But I just don't see it holding at his .73 points per game uh, that he averaged uh, so far. So I expect a drop off from him. It may not be significant, but I definitely don't think he'll do the same level of scoring that he did in the first half. To quote your president, wrong. <laughs> we'll go over to the Ottawa Senators. We'll put another dollar on that one. But uh, I'll, I'll stand by him. I think he's a guy that shows up more often than not in the scoring summaries, no matter what role he has. We'll go to Ottawa, where I'm going to look at a guy like Ryan Zingle. He's holding down first-line minutes on the left wing right now. And I think those minutes are going to be usurped by Mike Hoffman and Zach Smith eventually. Zingle is a guy who came from nowhere to make this team uh, in terms of the level that he's playing right now. And he's parlayed that into a fine first half of 23 points and a plus five record. But I do not think this is a guy that they can have in the first line if they're really serious about contending for a playoff spot. He's only got three points in the last seven games, indicative of a slowdown. He's only playing 10 to 17 minutes, uh, really fluctuating from game to game. And I just think that they're, they're trying to find a solution. They're trying to find a fit on that first line. He's not the answer, in my opinion, and the numbers will reflect that in the second half of the season. Well, one guy who's not struggling for minutes at all is Mike Condon. And I just think there's no way that this 22 game streak of, you know, appearing in games, not all starts, but most of them have been, uh, it just can't last. You know, the, he's eventually going to start to show uh, fatigue, whether it's mental or physical fatigue, he's going to need the rest. And, and I just don't think they can carry this into the second half of the season. The, the, I guess question is, though, you know, he's 5-1-1 one, one in his last seven. Uh, his goals against is starting to creep up a little bit, especially at home, uh, where he's, you know, 3.76 goals against uh, over those seven games. 
but it just can't last. There, there's no way that a goalie can start every single night all the way. You know, he there, he's had a handful of back-to-backs over this stretch, uh, and they're eventually going to need to give another netminder a look. And hopefully for, for Condon's sake and, and fantasy owners, they do it sooner rather than later because you don't want to start giving him rest when he needs it, give it to him before he needs it so that he doesn't have a production drop-off. Um, but either way, his his minutes are definitely going to drop. Yeah, the the goalie situation has to be managed for a guy when a guy hasn't really had that kind of a, a run. I mean, he had a good run last year in Montreal, but he knew it was temporary, so maybe that factored in there. But uh, your your call is really a good one there, and uh, I hope mine is a good one in Philadelphia, where I picked Mark Streit, a guy who got out, out of the gate really strongly, but he benefited from the fact that Gostas Bear struggled out of the shoot and Andrew McDonald not delivering what we expect from him. But now, Augustus Bear's back in the lineup and kind of lighting things up at the same time that uh, Street has found it hard to stay in the lineup. He's only played 11 games in the last month and a half after not missing a start in the first uh, two months of the season. So the mileage is on this guy. He's up near 40 in terms of years of age. And with an injury-riddled background, I just don't see him him being a factor that they lean on the rest of the way. And that'll cost him minutes on the power play. And uh, maybe we haven't seen him as the last of him heading to the infirmary as well. Well, speaking of a guy that's uh, costing himself minutes, I think Braden Shen is definitely going to see a drop-off. Somehow, despite having 32 points this year, Shen is a minus 14, uh, you know, and that's likely why he's found himself down on the third line. I think if he can't figure it out defensively, his minutes are going to have to drop off, especially if the Flyers want to make a, a postseason run. Uh, so that's that's going to be the key here. If he can figure it out on on the defensive end, his minutes will likely stay where they are and he could keep scoring, but I'm not sure that he can. And so I expect a drop in minutes and a corresponding drop in production. Boy, I'm going to give you a chance to editorialize here. Don't hate me when I say Chris Kunitz is my candidate for Pittsburgh, AJ. He's gone from being the caddy on on, on uh Sidney Crosby's line to a fourth line role he's got 19 points in the first half but I don't see how he's going to even approach that in the second half from his current status as a fourth liner with the minutes hovering around the 10 to 12 mark per game only two points in his last seven games I think that's a pace that we can see him on the rest of the season uh, you'll get no argument from me here uh, I, I agree with everything that you said about Chris Kunitz I, I've been expecting a drop-off from him for much of the season uh, I've been pleasantly surprised that it hasn't happened uh, yet, but uh, I definitely agree with you there, Paul. And and one other guy I expect to have a little bit of a drop off with Pittsburgh is Justin Schultz. You know, he uh, with an assist against Boston, he t- already tied his career high in points, and he's pairing up really nicely with Ian Cole. Um, but I would expect his opportunities to start to diminish when they get uh, Chris Letang and uh, Brian Dumoulin back. Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later for me. Um, but they'll take over the top pairing minutes, those two guys. And I don't think you're going to see a guy like Trevor Daly get pushed all the way down to the third pairing when, when Dumlin and the tank come back. So I think just the nature of getting those two guys back with, you know, the contributions of, of Trevor Daly, we'll see Justin Schultz either uh, paired up with somebody else or uh, sent all the way down to that third pairing. And, and I don't think his offensive uh, tear that he's been on so far this season will will carry forward now aj you know we do our homework the night before we prepare for this thing and i go and pick patrick marlowe for san jose before 
he goes out and plays and scores four goals last night. So this is going to make my pick sound really stupid, but I'm going to build the case anyway, where I see this guy before last night, he only had four points in 10 games in the month of January, which is a bit of a drop off from what we saw in December, which was his high watermark of the season, but they only eight points in 13 games. This is a name recognition play by me, where you try to think of Marlowe in the same way as you do a Joe Thornton or or Joe Pavelski or players, uh, Logan Couture, he's dropped off from that level. And uh, that that game aside last night, he will continue to drop off over the second half of the season, in my opinion. He's got a lot of travel miles, and the injury problems on his his resume are well documented as well. So I just think this is a guy that I can't rely on in that top six. Uh, and I think he's going to lose some time when Thomas Hurdle comes back from his injury woes as well. Yeah, and as I as I mentioned earlier, I, I tried to pick guys that were all in the you know the top five or top ten in scoring on their team, and I think the fact that Paul Martin is seventh on the team in scoring is actually a bigger issue for the team rather than than Paul Martin himself. Um, but having said that, sixteen points is basically what comes from pairing up with with Brent Burns. Uh, it's a baseline for any defenseman. I, I think there's almost any defenseman in the league if you put him alongside Brent Burns would end up around 16 points. Um, but, you know, Martin is definitely not a scorer. And so I just wanted to highlight him so that, you know, fantasy uh, players out there, our listeners, wouldn't be fooled by a spot in the Sharks' kind of leading scoring board there. Uh, the fact that he's seventh has less to do about him and more to do about Brent Burns. And uh, maybe the most shocking pick on my list is coming up when I talk about Kevin Shattenkirk in St. Louis. I'm going to say this guy's had a fabulous first half season. He's playing out the string as a U- potential UFA. And that's where I think the stresses are going to be heightened as the trade deadline approaches. And he starts, he has to be thinking about that in the back of his mind. And I think that's going to play havoc with his game a little bit, which we've already seen suffer with the plus minus. It's, it's one of the worst on the club's uh, roster, despite the fact that he's second in the team in scoring that minus almost offsets all the good that he's doing offensively and I think there's too many other guys that Ken Hitchcock a real defensive stickler will lean on as the games get uh, more high stakes over the second half of the season so I think those factors all conspire against a guy like a Kevin Shattenkirk yeah and for for Robbie Fabry I think his minutes on the top line will probably last as long as it takes Jaden Swartz to put his gear on uh Fabry just just five helpers in his last 11 contests. And I, I think the bigger issue for, for his production is the ever-changing line mates. Uh, for all the consistency they've had on the, the right wing, those guys are pretty much, the four of them are all locked into their roles. This left wing has, has changed pretty frequently, almost on a night-to-night basis, as they try and figure out who to put along, you know, Stastny and Steen, as well as, you know, Berglund and Tarasenko on the second line there. So I think Fabry's a, a victim of that. And I think he will continue to be moving forward. And without that top line minutes, I think you'll see him drop off a little bit. You know, I, I think uh, Valtteri Filippola in Tampa, his name, sh- his nickname should be Ambulance because he seems to come to the rescue whenever this team has a hole in their top six. You can put this guy on left wing, right wing, or center, and he fills in admirably. But of late, this team's starting to get healthier, and that's pushed him down the depth chart a little bit. And I think it will continue when a guy like Steven Stamkos and another guy like Ryan Callahan get back in the lineup. Those factors will limit this guy's offensive uh, appearances in key roles, and he'll revert to third, third line, maybe even fourth line when the depth gets straightened away here. But he's a guy that will plug it. It depends on the injury situation, but I think as the team gets healthier, I see this guy's minutes in decline, and the productivity will follow as well. 
another guy who could definitely get hurt by the return of, of guys like Stamkos and even Braden Point or Ryan Callahan is, is Tyler Johnson. He's got just three points in his last eight games, and he's got a minus nine rating over that stretch. You know, he's on the second line now, and, and as I mentioned, Stamkos is still probably two months off from returning, but I think as soon as he comes back, you know, it'll be a question of whether Tyler Johnson or, or Viteri Filpia ends up on that, that third uh, or even fourth line. You know, they could uh, keep Nemestikov up in that, that top uh, pairing even when Stamkos comes back. So this is another guy. They're both kind of in the same boat. Uh, I don't expect both of them to drop. So I think this could be another uh, loony to dollar bet. I, I think one of these two guys will drop off and we'll see who it is heading into the second half. And now I'm going to use my reverse jinx theory. If I talk about a player or a team, I, I expect the opposite to happen when it's my club. I picked them for last this year on purpose, AJ. I really was hoping they'd make the playoffs. And look <laughs> how that's turning out. So I'm going to put the whammy on Frederick Anderson here in Toronto. He's had an incredible first half. There's no way I would have forecast this. And again, coming off a shutout last night when I put his name down as the guy that I expected to go down, it's another double whammy. So I'm doubling down on that and thinking that there's no way that Anderson can can continue the excellent play that he's been given uh, the given the Leafs unless they find a way to lessen his workload. But as they lessen that workload, the wins will go down too. So the numbers by by any measure that I see will have to be in decline over the rest of the season. Now, Paul, I don't want you to get mad about this next pick, but I was torn between Nazem Kadri and Tyler Bozak, and it's not to knock either one of these guys. It's solely based on the fact that I can't imagine that Austin Matthews continues to see the third line role uh, heading into the second half of the season. So of those two guys, I think Nazem Kadri is the one that'll slide down to the third line. And that's solely because Austin Matthews is going to get top six opportunities and I think Kadri just gets edged out slightly by Bozak uh, for that other top six spot down the middle uh, of the, the lease lineup. Now, I just cheated a little bit and took a peek at your next player. And it seems this is the first time out of 28 teams that we agree on the same guy. So I'm going to let you talk about Brandon Sutter and tell me why you think he's going to go down the chute in the second half of the season. Yeah, Paul, I, I tried to avoid this. Uh, you, you did take first first crack here, so I tried to find other guys, but Brandon Sutter is one that I just had to talk about. You know, for starters, I, it was really hard to to pick somebody on of these guys to get worse because Vancouver has been bad already. And while Sutter, in my opinion, is a phenomenal hockey player, I loved having him in Pittsburgh. He was one of those guys I was really sad to leave. He's just not a goal scorer. You know, he's got one assist in his last four, and that's a lot more accurate of his offensive capabilities. This is a, a two-way, almost a one-way defensive player, more than a, more than a two-way player. Uh, I don't think he's built to really be a scorer, and I don't think it's the role that he fits best. Uh, and so I think he'll continue to do that well. I would love to have him back on my team, um, but he's just not designed, in my opinion, to be a, a scorer. Uh, in the league all right you know i'm going to give our listeners some value here and i'm going to say louis erickson is my pick uh, i'll come off the, the sutter pick and i'll pick louis erickson just because right now he's hanging on by a thread to that first line role with the sedines and they've been a revolving door of guys that took that opportunity and have run with it he is going to get a few, couple more games but if he doesn't produce they'll find another guy they'll just recycle burrows or somebody else to take that spot and when they do his numbers will continue to decline and so i think he's a guy another guy like a Lucic who has a huge price tag who will come off the the pace that he's been scoring at as soon as he gets dropped off the Sedin 
tandem. So let's go then to the next club that I got, Washington Capitals. Uh, this team is flying, and I know that's got to be bugging you as a guy who thinks this is one of your big rivals. This is like Montreal for you, I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick Marcus Johansson, a guy who, who has found his way uh, to stay into the top six minutes and, and be a factor there at the expense of guys like Andre Burakovsky, I would say, and even uh, Brett Connolly to a lesser extent. Johansson is going to see those numbers decline, though, because I think they want to see uh, Burakovsky develop into a, the role that he had last year, even as a second liner playing with Kuznetsov. So I think he will eventually lose that opportunity. The guy that's been uh, mitigating circumstance here is Justin Williams, who's been playing way, way better than I expected, too. So I think Johansson is a guy who sees, uh, sees, uh, seems to be the odd man out when things get a little more uh, into crunch time for the Capitals, and that's going to see his numbers decline as a third-line li- third player at some point. I picked Evgeny Kuznetsov only because, uh, as we've talked about the the experiment with with uh, Mal- or, uh, Ovechkin on that that top line is definitely over. They're going to stick with Backstrom the rest of the way, in my opinion, and I think that'll cause a slight drop off in Kuznetsov's production. Now he's in no uh, worry, I think, of losing that that second uh, line center role. I don't think he has to worry about Lars Eller or Jay Beagle kind of dethroning him there. Um, but it could come down to maybe shuffling some things up if they, as you mentioned, do want to get Burakovsky in. So maybe they would move him to a wing, which which could mess with you know his his scoring ability a little bit. But this is really more about his lack of uh, time with Ovechkin heading into the second half compared to what he got in the first half. Well, we'll wind it up with Winnipeg. I'm going to go with Toby Enstrom. And the reason is because there's just such a crowded blue line there in terms of talented options. Dustin Bufflin, Jacob Truba on the, on the one hand, and then Tyler Myers, who's about ready to come back from the DL. That's got to limit the, the scoring opportunities that, that have usually come Enstrom's way. He was he was the guy a couple of seasons ago, but he could go drop down to the fourth in terms of the pecking order, in terms of offensive defensemen in, in Winnipeg. And that's got to translate into, into a client decline in his scoring that I forecast over the rest of the season. Well, my guy here, I'm going to look in goal, and that's going to be Connor Hellybuck. And while I'm not saying that the team's ready to give up on him, I think the recall of uh, Andre Pavlosek is very telling. You know, this is a guy that they sent down before the season even started, uh, right after training camp. And I think what they're looking at is that they have a playoff caliber team and they're willing to bench Hellebuck for a pending unrestricted unrestricted free agent uh, who has been in the minors all year. I think is, you know, a very um, interesting fact that, you know, you try and stick with your guy, try and let him work out the concerns, um, but they obviously want to to see what they can do in the postseason. And right now, Hellybuck's just not getting it done. So they'll they'll basically uh, take a loner in uh, Pavlosek because I think he'll be gone after this year uh, and let him, you know, kind of earn a spot somewhere else. And then, uh, you know, see how far they can get. And it'll be Hellybuck's goal again next year. But I think for the rest of the way, Pavlosek's probably going to take over as that number one for, for most of the games. Yeah, I think that's as much as an opportunity to advertise him as a pot- potential uh, guy who is drafted by Las Vegas. So maybe it's, it's a misdirection play by Winnipeg that they'll employ just kind of a defensive measure uh, against losing somebody else on the rest of their lineup. 
Well, AJ, let's turn our attention now to the way we build FanDuel lineups for Tuesday's games using uh, tonight's schedule of games as our guideline. Why don't you take us for, through the first five games on the schedule, and we'll give pe- people a taste for what we do on Thursdays when we do a complete DFS program on the fantasy hockey side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will point out a lot of teams in action, but that also means we have a lot of teams coming off back-to-backs from last night. Uh, It starts off Detroit at Boston, and then uh, the Kings, who are our first team coming off a back-to-back, they head into New Jersey uh, to play the Devils. And then the Blue Jackets, who they're a minus 135. uh, No lines on those two earlier games quite yet. But uh, Blue Jackets minus 135 as they head to the island to, to face New York. And that's a five and a half over under. St. Louis traveled to Pittsburgh. And this is our big uh, favorite of the night, which I love seeing. The Pens are minus 210 uh, and a six over under. So uh, basically, Vegas is telling us it's going to be a high scoring game uh, that the Pens will be heavily favored in. Calgary coming off a back-to-back as they travel to Montreal. Another big favorite, uh, the Canadians minus 190. Sorry about that for you, Paul. Uh, Five and a half over under there. And then another back-to-back as Washington head to Ottawa. Uh, My guess would be that despite coming off a back-to-back, Washington will be favored on that money line, uh, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. Paul, what's the late set of games look like? At 8 o'clock, we've got Buffalo traveling to Music City in Nashville, They're a min- uh, where the Preds are a minus 180. The over-under is five goals. Saint- San Jose is on the second of back-to-backs with an ugly trip there that they have, have to make to Winnipeg. For, it's a long distance, not an l- ugly town in Winnipeg. It's a long distance that they had to travel to get to that game following their first game last night. An 8 o'clock start there. There's no line. Tampa is in Chicago. That'll be a tough one for the Lightning against the Hawks, who are seen to be rolling again. And the line reflects it here. They're minus 165 with the over-under set at 5. And the last game doesn't have a line. It's the Minnesota Wild against the Dallas Stars, an 8.30 start. Let's go through your picks uh, at center, AJ, as we uh, build our lineups for tonight's FanDuel game. Well, I have basically spent all of my money here at the center position. Uh, I went first with Sidney Crosby. As I mentioned, that money line, that over-under, plus a matchup against St. Louis, who have had some def- or some uh, net-mining struggles. I couldn't pass up on Sid the Kid despite a $9,200 price tag. And then the other player I'm going with is Jeff Carter at 8100 I know I mentioned that he could have a drop-off uh, coming, but I don't think it's going to start tonight against New Jersey another down team who are struggling to keep goals out of the back of the net. Uh, So I spent heavy here. Paul, what did you do in the middle? I went, uh, I spent a little less than you, but more than I usually do. How's that? I've got Ryan Johansson of Nashville at $6,500 as they host Buffalo. Uh, Nashville can be a tough out at home and Buffalo, a team that I'm not really high on at the moment. So I think that's a good reason for going there. And then I picked Wenberg for Columbus, a team that's firing on all cylinders against an Islanders team that is not they're shooting blanks. And so for $6,100, I think that's a great value with the Jackets at home. What about your four wingers? Well, I started off with uh, Patrick Marlowe at $5,400. i am really hoping uh, maybe not quite for a repeat of a four-goal night, but maybe he can just get one or two uh, against uh, a Winnipeg. You know, we mentioned the, the change in net there, so it could uh, affect them. And then I went with uh, Simone Gagne for the Blue Jackets against the Islanders. Uh, you know, 4,900, it's about all I could afford for the wings. So tried to pick somebody on a high team. And then uh, Vetrano for Boston, 4,800. They're playing Detroit, another struggling team. Uh, Vetrano hasn't 
produced at exactly the level that I think I thought he would have this season, but I think this is a good matchup for him. And then finally, our contentious guy on Buffalo that we're on opposite sides of, Matt Molson for 4,500 on Nashville, I think is, is struggling a little bit. Sure, they're at home, um, but I think the Sabres can, can get this one, and I think Molson will be part of that uh, for your wingers, Paul. Well, I have to note that that travel thing that with San Jose has impacted one of my picks. Uh, they were in La- Colorado last night. They're going to be in Winnipeg tonight, and I think that's going to be tough on them. Uh, so I, that's one reason why I picked Blake Wheeler. I'm spending $7,300 here for that matchup uh, as Wheeler, one of the better power wingers in the game, uh, should have a bit of a field day against, a, I think, a tired San Jose outfit. I'll go with Montreal's Ale- uh, R- Alexander Radilov who, against Calgary, who uh, had a tough night in Toronto last night, and Canadians were at home waiting. He's going to be a $6,500 price tag. So that uh, the waiting game really is, is what I think is an advantage for those two guys that I picked there. Then uh, Momanta, uh, Momanta, Anthony Manta for Detroit uh, against Boston, a, a Bruins team that's really uh, reeling right now. They've played a lot of games, and they, uh, they have given up a lot of games in hand to teams that are around them in the standings. And this season's going south for the Bruins in a hurry. I think it continues in a key divisional battle tonight. And then I'll finish up with Nino Niederreiter, who's got a first-line role playing with the red-hot Eric Stahl. Both these guys could have a good night against that suspect Dallas defense and goaltending group that uh, we have uh, both taken turns criticizing all season long for $5,300, another good value play there. What about on your blue line? I see you're stealing one guy that I name every week almost. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Dumba this time around at, at 4800 uh, You just mentioned that, that Dallas goaltending disaster, so I think it's a good uh, chance for him to capitalize. And then my other uh, player, also 4800 uh, Mark uh, Mark Edward Vlasic. Uh, I think he should be able to produce against Winnipeg. You mentioned the travel situation. That doesn't concern me quite as much, um, but it's definitely a, a riskier play. But again, with how much I spent at center, I had to compromise uh, basically through the rest of my lineup, and and that's uh, where I landed there on your blue line, Paul. Uh, what what I do on the blue line every week is I try to find a cheap option where a first pairing guy has a good matchup, and and I can't see better ones than the Columbus Blue Jackets hosting the Islanders and giving me the opportunity to put Jones, Seth Jones, in the lineup for fifty two hundred bucks. And then I do the same thing looking at Nashville hosting Buffalo, where Matthias Ekholm continues to get first-line minutes on that defense pairing, and he's a paltry $4,500 well off some of the price tags of some of the higher-priced defensemen that are out there on tonight's board. In Nets, you've got a bit of a surprise pick, I think. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Philip Grubauer for $8,300. He is already confirmed for tonight's game, uh, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, Hope he'll get the next one. And I like the matchup against Ottawa. Grubauer, with one exception against the Penguins, has been relatively uh, consistent of late. Uh, He's just having a phenomenal year, albeit used infrequently. In fact, uh, his last uh, outing, he uh, put up 25.6 FanDuel points. Uh, So I'm expecting a a win from him against Ottawa, and I hope he can keep it under, you know, two goals or less here. Uh, Paul, you you talked about Jared Coro before, and I'm going to take him as my goalie tonight. So I'm doing it almost on your say. So good scouting report you gave me. (laughs) Uh, But uh, this guy's kind of taken over the net in Detroit, and I think they got to get a good opportunity here to see him build on those numbers against that reeling Boston team. Detroit's no great shakes either, but they're they are, uh, I think, a bit better club than the Bruins right now. And uh, I think that $7,900 price tag is too attractive to pass up for me. 
So that concludes our, our lineup picks, but we also have a great tool that we want to talk about. We've spent some time talking about this on our Thursday pod, where we do strictly a DFS show. But uh, at Rotowire headquarters, we have one of the fantasy industry's greatest inventions called the Rotowire Optimizer Tool, and we use that for all four sports. AJ, can you tell our listeners a bit about it and run through tonight's optimizer picks, please? Yeah, so the, the lineup optimizer, uh, if, you, if you have a Rotowire subscription, it's fully customizable where you can lock in certain players that you like, exclude others that you don't like. Uh, for example, if you want to use half of my lineup and half of Paul's, it can help you kind of put that together. Um, so it's a great tool to kind of combine that. Uh, if you don't have a paid subscription, you can still see uh, kind of the basic, uh, you know, mathematically calculated lineup without the customization and what you would be looking at tonight uh, is going to be Sidney Crosby in the middle at 9,200 alongside Ryan O'Reilly at 6,200. Uh, so uh, a Buffalo player who's uh, top line, top power play, along with the Pittsburgh top line, top power play guy there. Uh, and then the optimizer goes big on the wings uh, to start off with Vladimir Tarasenko for 8,200 and Blake Wheeler, uh, one of Paul's guys for 7,300. These are both... Uh, high over under so i think that's probably part of why the optimizer is looking at them and then for kind of uh, value plays on the optimizer it's got jordan schroeder as minnesota head to dallas we've highlighted the struggles in net there so for 3600 he's a solid value play and then joel armia of winnipeg uh, for 3300 uh, just noticing the lineup optimizer is definitely high on winnipeg tonight and I, th I think it's probably agreeing with you a little bit more than me, Paul. I'm a little riskier than the lineup optimizer. They don't like San Jose traveling there. Uh, and then on the blue line, as I mentioned, high on Winnipeg. So the optimizer has Duff Dustin Bufflin at 6,400. And then it's got Cameron Gauntz of Pittsburgh, who may be in on the third line for 3,000. And so what's happening here, uh, just to give our listeners an idea, uh, Gauntz is our projections at 9.6, but his uh, salary is only 3000. So the lineup optimizer really likes that. You know, you're looking at a, as I said, a, a minus uh, 210 for Pe uh, Pittsburgh in the money line there. So the fact that they're favored, they're expecting a lot of goals with an over under of six. And so the lineup optimizer is kind of putting those factors together and highlighting Cameron Gauntz, who's probably a name that most of our listeners probably haven't heard before. Uh, and then finally, in net, uh, the optimizer likes Robin Lerner for Buffalo heading into Nashville for 6,800. All right. There's some suspect picks there, but I think I like the call <laughs> about the Winnipeg team hosting San Jose. That weary travel thing could bite the Sharks tonight, I do think. And we invite uh, our listeners to join us on Thursdays when we take a fuller look at lineup options and really show you how we go through our DFS plays. We cover NBA DFS uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of each week, but we'll hit on the, on the hockey side again on Thursday in more detail to show you, guys, you listeners just how this thing works. And we know you'll get a kick out of it and maybe learn some things or two along the way. Let's go into our stud of the week and rant of the week to finish up the show. AJ, begin with the stud of the week. I'm going to say John Tavares of the Isles. This guy's got eight goals and one assist in his last six games played. He's the main cog here facing top checking and top defensive pairs every night, yet he's still such a consistent offensive force to rank in the top, among the top scorers in the last few years. With all the turmoil on the island, you don't think the Islanders will let him 
wait till next year as a UFA before he goes. There can't be much reason for him to stay here, I don't think, in my opinion. He has a clause in his contract that's notable that uh, calls for eight team, an eight-team no-trade list, and there's going to be 27 at this time next year. I'm just saying this guy wants to win. I don't think he's going to do it on the island. What are your thoughts? Well, Paul, the only uh, thing I disagree with you here is that I wouldn't call him the main cog there. I'd call him the only cog. Uh, Isles fans, you're right, Paul. They need to prepare themselves to say goodbye one way or another. I think you're absolutely right that letting him leave for nothing would be foolish, although that no-trade clause could lower his price a bit as teams you know, know that he can control a little bit where he ends up. And I do think the fact that he's basically a rental uh, could lower the value just a little bit. Uh, the, you know, with that unrestricted free agency coming up at the end of the year, you know, and so it's a matter of what you are willing to give up to get one year with this guy. I think there's definitely going to be buyers. And I, as I said, I think it'd be foolish for the Islanders to let him walk for nothing. Now, I've been a Leaf fan for a long time, and we've tied our cart to the hopes of guys like Stamkos going back a few years to Lindros and a number of other guys in between. But this guy almost makes too much sense for Toronto. He'll be only 27. The Leafs are well on the rise. We know that Tavares has no, nothing like weather fact, a weather factor uh, entering into this decision between the island and New York and Toronto. I mean, Tampa you can make a case for, for sure, weather-wise. But, <laughs> but So I, I think all signs point to him leaving, and maybe Toronto a potential de- destination. If the Leafs are interested, that would be an interesting partnership, one that would excite the locals here around me. But uh, he deserves a nod for being such a prolific scorer year after year, and right now he's among the best in the league. In terms of the rant of the week, I was struggling to come up with one until I watched the waning moments of last night's hockey game, not because a Leaf player was, was victimized, just be- but just because the play that I saw was just an awful one. And it revolves around the slew foot. Now, I didn't know what a slew foot was five or six years ago, but that's because we didn't see this play. What it amounts to is, uh, is one player not facing another guy who's come from behind him, and he takes his feet out from under him. And the net effect is you can fall backwards and hit your head on the ice or get sustain an injury to any kind of a body part when it's a sudden fall like that. And that's what happened last night to Connor Carrick, Leaf defenseman, who was... Uh, who was with his back to the play as Sam Bennett was skating in from the blue line into deep into the leaf zone. He had no intention of getting the puck or anything like that. This was way in the late part of a Fort Nothing game. Bennett just skated in and took the guy's feet out from under him. To me, this is the most gutless move in hockey, akin to striking a defenseless player in uh, football, you might say. It has no place in hockey and should be punished harshly. I doubt much will come of it in this instance, but the player could easily have hit the ice and hit his head first, and that could have been big trouble, as we know. The slew foot is an unsavory act that I'm seeing too often in the last few years, and I want it out of hockey completely, AJ. Amen, Paul. Not much more I can add to that. Uh, The NHL should come down hard on these instances, especially if they're going to profess their commitment to preventing or limiting head injuries. Uh, These are concussions waiting to happen when when these, uh, you know, acts uh, occur. So we invite our listeners to uh, maybe start another uh, another hashtag. How about ban the slew foot? We've had ban the shootout. Now we're going to go ban the slew foot. And, and let's see if that gets any traction. I'm going to tweet it out a little bit later. Well, uh, AJ, that wraps up this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter to follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22. And you can follow AJ at AJ Scholes24. That's A-J-S-C-H 
OLZ24. We ask you to look out for PuckCast Hockey Pod every week so you can get all the latest news and our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy contest. And we remind you to join us on Thursday for the DFS NHL Hockey Pod with AJ and myself. So long, everybody. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.